to talk to you for a few minutes from the subject serious religion. Serious religion. The church is not a bastion of theological sanctity. It never was and it never will be. The church is a product of the culture in which it resides. Ideally, the church positively affects culture. The church moves culture in the direction of Jesus. Ideally, the church champions love without limit or restriction and service with humility and consistency. Ideally, the church serves as a voice for those that culture seeks to mute. Ideally, the church seeks to weave into culture's fabric those that culture has marginalized and dismissed. Ideally, the church affirms the worth of every individual, that we are all precious in God's sight, that Jesus died and was raised from the dead so that all could have the opportunity to enjoy eternal life. Ideally, the church serves to nudge culture toward equity. But sadly, we're living in a time when the world's values are flooding into and eroding the efficacy of the church. Personal pushes for power, wealth, and comfort have displaced the Christ model of humility, compassion, and service that Jesus exemplified and called us to emulate. The truth is that we are in a constant tension between what we are called to do, what the church would have us do, and what we want to do. Paul identifies the tension for us by calling it good and evil. He writes in Romans 7, when I would do good, evil is present on every hand. He writes, deep inside me, I find joy in God's law. But then he confesses, I see another law working in me. It fights against the law of my mind. It makes me a prisoner of the law of sin. And that law controls me. Paul laments, what a terrible failure I am. Who will save me from this sin that brings death to my body? This is a lament that most of us can agree with us. Because most of us have experienced failure in our personal fight between the good we know we ought to do and the evil 
that we want to do. But I'm glad that Paul does not leave us with the lament. Once he shifts his focus away from his failure and places it squarely on an unfailing God, I hear Paul cry, thanks be to God who gives us the victory through Jesus Christ, our Lord. Culture is what Paul describes as evil. Culture says that we are answerable only to ourselves. Culture says that true contentment comes solely from seeking to satisfy self. Culture's morality is situational. What does that mean? It means that it shifts according to the circumstance because it's not rooted in a relationship with an unchanging God. And this tension is real. And all too often we give in to it. But there is no shift in Jesus's morality. Jesus's morality is simply this. As I have loved you, so should you love one another. If we love with the love of Jesus, then there are some things we just won't do. The love of Jesus will cause us to place greater importance on the needs of others over the desires of self. The love of Jesus will keep us from settling for a convenient Christianity when we call on God when it helps, but we forget all about God when God tells us that what we're going after ain't right. And therein, my brothers and sisters, lies the real tension with Christianity and culture. Culture leads to selfishness, and selfishness removes from us any concern we should have for one another. And when selfishness prevails, our values become warped. Our priorities get out of order, our goals become inappropriate, and our morals are lost. But there's a remedy for this situation. God calls to us through Isaiah, and he calls for us to come back to him. Come and let us reason together. Though your sins are as scarlet, I'll wash them white as snow. Though they be red like crimson, they shall be as wool if you are willing and obedient. Now, what that means is that the choice is ours. We know that culture is the sickness, and we know that God is the cure. But the question is, are you willing to take your medicine? And are you willing to get better? Are you willing to get serious about your religion? Psalm 51 is a psalm of David, and it's written because David got himself into trouble. And he's looking to God to get him out. Ain't that the way with all of us? We get ourselves 
into trouble. But we look to God to get us out. I often hear people say, Rev, I'll be back at the church when I, my life settles down. I'll, I'll be back when, when my situation gets straightened out. That means you ain't never coming back. Those of us who are serious about our religion know that our mess will never get straight until we put it in God's hands. Your mess you made, but your mess you can't fix. But there is no mess that is too big for God to get us out of. David is petitioning God for relief from a suffering spirit. The background of this psalm is found in 2 Samuel chapters 11 and 12. David had been greatly blessed by God. God had raised David up from being a shepherd boy in the wilderness to being the king of Israel. God had endowed David with a sharp mind and keen understanding. God had blessed David to be a man of great wealth and power. Things had been going well for David for a long time. But then something happened. In the midst of his success, David took his eyes off of God. David gave in to personal desire. With all his talent, with all his intellect, with all his influence, with all his wealth, with all his power, David got weak. And soon, David was in trouble. Shiloh, be careful when things are going well for you. You see, success can be a dangerous thing. I've lived long enough to know now that some folk can handle failure better than they can success. Some folk can handle trial better than they can triumph. Now, I know all of us are striving to succeed. All of us are trying to make the best that we can out of our lives. And there is nothing wrong with enjoying success. But I stop by to let you know that if you don't keep success in perspective, success will get you into trouble. Success is dangerous when you forget the one who made it possible. Success can make you think that you're more than you are. Success can make you think that you're better than you are. Success can fool you into believing that you did it all by yourself. We need the Lord when we're down. But some of us need the Lord when we're up. You need the Lord to remind you that all your help comes from the Lord. You need the Lord to remind you that without God, I can do nothing. You need to seek the Lord when things are going well. Because success without God gets you into trouble. And that's where David is in this text. A successful David.
had gotten into something he should have stayed away from. In a private moment from his balcony, David spotted a beautiful woman named Bathsheba who was bathing herself across the way. And as David looked on Bathsheba, he decided that he had to have her for himself. He found out that she was married. That didn't matter to him at all. He had to have her for himself. He knew the law. He knew that adultery was wrong, but that didn't slow him down. He had to have her for himself. David was caught up in his success. David was caught up in who he thought he was and who folk told him he was, and he forgot about everything else. I'm the king. Nothing can be withheld from me. I'm the king. I can have my way. I'm the king. Can't nobody stop me from doing what I want. And so David had Bathsheba brought to him, and he laid with her. And after a while, Bathsheba became pregnant. Now, when he found out that she was pregnant, he decided that he was going to manipulate the situation to cover his culpability. Bathsheba's husband, Uriah, was a soldier in David's army. So David had Uriah brought home on leave, and David encouraged Uriah to go and enjoy the comforts of his wife. But Uriah was so committed to his fellow soldiers. Uriah was so committed to his own sense of personal integrity that he rejected David's counsel and he slept at the city gate. David said, I'll get him drunk and drunkenness will handle it. He got him drunk believing that Uriah would have a weakened resolve, but Uriah still didn't go home to his wife. And after a while, David said, all right, I got another solution to this problem. He sent sealed orders to Joab to have Uriah placed at the heated point of the battle line. And when the battle was at its most fierce, Joab's men fell back and left Uriah out there to die. When David learned that Uriah was dead, he called on the widow Bathsheba and brought her into his palace, made her his wife. She had the child, and David thought that everything was fine. But the text says, the Bible says, that the whole matter displeased the Lord. Church, let me remind you today, you can fool folk. But you can't fool the Lord. Man looks on the outward appearance. Man looks only on what we want man to see. But God looks on our hearts. 
And I don't care how good things seem to be going. If we know that we are not right with God, we need to do something about it. David's behavior fooled folk, but it didn't fool God. And God sent his prophet Nathan to confront David about his sin. Nathan told David a story about corruption and evil. He told David how a rich man who had everything you could ever possibly want took from a poor man the only thing that he had. And when David heard the story, he became angry, he became indignant, and he declared that the rich man should be put to death for his sin. And when Nathan heard the judgment, he said to David, O king, you are the man, you are the one who has done this evil. You are the one who has lost sight of the Lord. Now, church, this is the crucial moment in David's life. I know we love the Lord as my shepherd, I shall not want, but that wasn't the crucial moment in David's life. This is the crucial moment in David's life. This is the moment that questioned how serious David was about his religion. And can I tell you, all of us are going to come to this crucial moment. We all get weak sometime. We all fall short sometime. But the true measure of our religion is not when we're perfect, but when we fail. The true measure of our religion is how quick we are to get back on track when we have messed up. And the first step to getting back on track is to confess that we've been wrong. You can't be about what God would have you to be until you confess that you have been wrong. You can't be right about the morals of other folk, pointing fingers at other folk, and you got problems in your own life. You've got to confess that you've been wrong. You can't have a right value system unless you confess that you have been wrong. Serious religion will cause you to confess. It's me. It's me, oh Lord. I'm the one standing in the need of prayer. Not my brother, not my sister, not the doctor, not the lawyer, not the preacher, not the deacon. It's me, oh Lord. I'm standing in the need of prayer. David realized that he was in trouble. He had let culture come between him and his personal morality. He had let success fool him into believing that he was more than he was. But when the preacher told David that God wasn't pleased, David decided that it was time 
to get serious about his religion. Lord, I know that you're generous in love, but right now, I need your grace. I know that you are filled with mercy, and I need you to wipe clean my bad record. Lord, I need you to scrub away my guilt. Lord, I need you to soak out my sins in your laundry. I know what I've done. I know what I've been. My sins are staring me in the face. I got weak, Lord. I got full of myself. And I've made a mess out of things. I, I know that I was wrong, and I'm ready, Lord, to get right. So I'm asking you. I'm asking you, Lord, have mercy on me. Lord, wash me, because I know that if you wash me, I shall be clean. I know if you purge me, I shall be whiter than so. Lord, create in me a clean heart. Renew a right spirit in me. Lord, restore to me the joy of my salvation. Shiloh, in 2020, we need to get serious about our religion. Don't let the world's morals invade your heart. Don't let the world's priorities prevail in your life. If you have messed up, say I messed up. If you have fallen short, say Lord, I've fallen short and ask him, have mercy on me. Not what I ought to be, have mercy on me. I didn't always rise above my culture. Have mercy on me. I didn't always acknowledge you as the source of my supply. Have mercy on me. And I know that if you get a hold of me, you're able to make everything all right. I worry about us. Sometimes I worry about us coming in here and staying in here for an hour and a half and acting like because we came in here, everything is all right. If you came in here arrogant and leave out of here arrogant, ain't nothing changed. If you came in here covering up and leave out of here still covering up, ain't nothing changed. While you're here. I want you to have a conversation with God. While you're here, I want you to confess to God, it's me. It's me. I've got problems. I've got terrible things going on in my life. I've got troubles. I've got situations that are tearing me down. It's me, Lord. Tired of pretending tired of putting a smile on my face and the tears breaking my heart tired of acting like everything is fine when I know it's not fine it's me Lord 
It's me. Fix me. Fix me. Fix me. I'm broken, but you can fix me. I'm tired, but you can strengthen me. I've fallen, but you can pick me up. I did wrong, but I know that you can cover my wrong and make it right. Fix me, Lord. Fix me. It's time to get serious. Because there's serious stuff going on. All around us. And you ain't ready to deal with serious stuff if you're still playing games. So don't look at other folk. Look at you. And ask the Lord. Don't ask the Lord to fix other folk. Fix me.